Hello and welcome to The Flex. I'm Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie, bringing you the best Friars coverage around. Joe, the Friars with a triple overtime victory against Xavier that looks absolutely wild on the box score and somehow outdid that by a massive amount watching the game. I was sitting on my couch watching it going absolutely insane. You were there. Tell us, what was the uh, what was the environment like inside the arena? I mean, oof, wow. That, that was, it was a win, and it was a, a tough pill to swallow just from a timing standpoint, from a confusion standpoint. I mean, you, I don't even know where to begin. I, it's around 9 o'clock, roughly a little after 9 when they stopped for the the dunk melting, for lack of a better uh, phrase, they stopped for about twelve or so minutes, twelve to twenty minutes. I don't, was, I don't even remember how long. Just over, just over sixteen minutes. That's okay. That's what I thought. Sixteen minutes of waiting for the dunk to stop melting, and of course you're hearing fans shout like, "The game's getting canceled. It's getting postponed. They're moving to alumni." All like all these conspiracy theories are getting thrown out there. You see Bob Driscoll's running the floor. The, the managers are out there with refreshed sets of towels. Um, so that's going on, and you're thinking, all right, you know, gonna gonna it's going to delay us by 15, 20 minutes. You know, it's fine. Two minutes left in the second half. Game's almost over. About, about an hour and 15 minutes later, the game actually ends after three thrilling overtimes. I mean... That was the longest live sporting event I think I've ever been to, and it delivered so heavily, dude. It was this incredible. Was, yeah. This was the Red Sox Yankees of basketball games. It's just every delay possible getting stretched out to the last possible ounce, and just I mean a roller coaster of a game, absolute yeah. roller coaster from start to finish. But I think. To really set the tone for this game properly, Joe, you and I have not recorded since Tuesday night. And, you know, there was some stuff that happened Tuesday night that made this game mean quite a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good segue. Um, So for I'm sure everyone that's listening to this is a Big East fan. Everyone now knows that UConn upset Villanova at the Excel Center, uh, which gave the Friars a two game lead in the loss column in first place of the conference, which means that if we win on Saturday night, the Friars will clinch the Big East regular season championship. Now, that game against UConn and Villanova was, that one was a doozy. Um, And it, it was capped by Colin Gillespie flying down the court like a third grader playing CYO, one push off, two push off, three push off, Offensive foul. Gillespie thinks he draws a shooting foul. Smiles. The ref calls it on him. He starts waving his finger around like, no, no, no. You Review it. Review it. One, you're a player. You don't make that call, jerk. So go sit down and take the foul. Two, the, <laughs> then UConn wins the game and they storm the court. They're a ranked team and they stormed the court for beating another ranked team. Yeah, that it, was uh, embarrassing. Just, and you haven't even mentioned what may have been the most controversial part of the game, which is Dan Hurley getting ejected in the first half. And I, uh, I guess as somebody that I don't think has once agreed with Dan Hurley, I was sitting there like, ha now you get it. Now you know what it's like 
to come back to the, the East and go against Villanova. It was, I mean, that first half especially was a welcome to the Big East, welcome back to the Big East moment for the Huskies. And man, did they they, they bounce back without their head coach? It was an insane performance. And again, because that happened. It meant that the, if the Friars got two home wins this week over Xavier and over Creighton, they'd win the Big East title without having a before that game at Villanova. So that's what made the game against Xavier doubly important. Now, if you win, you set up a game on Saturday at home to win the conference, which you've never done before in school history. UConn comes through in the clutch. Yeah, that that offensive foul, which I don't understand how anybody is saying that could have been a blocking foul. RJ Cole was sitting there for about five minutes waiting for Gillespie to come down. Not to mention, Gillespie gave the officials that call on a silver platter. And if they were officiating the game correctly, the call would have been on the other side of the court with the first push off. And it's funny because he actually got called for two push offs for the first time all season this game. So you would think that. The, the series of one, two, three push-offs leading to the offensive foul would get called. But I digress. They yeah. made the right call. Yeah. So after after a remarkably poorly officiated game for 38 minutes, the refs in that one made a lot of good calls down the stretch. And that sets up the events of Wednesday night. I just want to go through this game from start to finish and talk about what happened. Because... Yep. And it starts probably about an hour before the opening tip. We neither of us were optimistic about the odds of Al Durham playing in this one. Let alone playing. We didn't think he was going to. We were playing questioning if he would play again this season. And there you go. About an hour, hour and a half before tip, K Mac tweets out, "Hey, he's out here. He's warming up. We're going to see if he can give it a go." Fifteen minutes before tip, he's in the starting lineup. We're going. And let me tell you, from my first impression of him from the start, he looked way quicker. In, in the first half. I feel like I've seen him in a long time. I think that rest helped him out. Uh, he definitely had a little pep to his step, Matt. Um, and you're right. You know, going into that, the anticipation was, you know, he's a game time decision. He's up in the air. Is he out? Is he going to come off the bench in the second half? Like, I don't think either one of us or any of Friartown, for that matter, had any idea of what Durham's role was going to be. And <laughs> there, there you go. You got the the announcer in the dunk starting at guard, Al Durham, and the uh, crowd goes wild. Like, and like you said, he came out hot, had a pep in his step, was playing quick, and I mean to be completely honest, and I think I can safely say this now, I think the coaching staff was hoping to get away with like giving him a blow against Butler, a team that they didn't think was going to give us too much trouble. Obviously, hindsight twenty twenty. We could have used Durham down the stretch there, regardless. A win is a win, and we're two games past it now. But uh, I think we got caught with our hand in the cookie jar with that one. Like, you know, we're trying to give Durham a blow against an inferior opponent that you're supposed to beat. Whatever. What matters is he played last night, looked pretty good, and he started. So, yeah, huge, huge stuff there. Um, and, And you talk about this first half. This whole game was bizarre. And the first half kind of gets overlooked, but the Friars knocked down seven three-pointers, only made five two-pointers, made one of, I believe it was one of six on layups in the first half. Xavier was one of six from deep in the first half. So the Friars were hitting all the shots they shouldn't be hitting and missing the ones they should. And you end up going into the break with the game tied at 36, even though Xavier had a lead for nearly 15 minutes of the opening 20. I don't know. What was the, what was the feeling in the building at halftime? Uh, 
I don't know to be complete. I, I don't know how I would describe the feeling because at, at one in one breath, it's like there's a sense of relief because you tied the score at halftime. In another breath, there's a sense of pep and optimism because he's got you tied the score at halftime. And in a third breath, it's like, oh, crap, Xavier just led the entire first half. So there were I felt like there were three different personalities floating around the dunk around halftime. Um, and, and to be completely honest, I think that's totally a result of the Narragansetts. But hey. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, you know what really stood out? in the uh, the whiteout crowd in the student section, and I thought this was hilarious. The the shining blue reflection of the Bud Light bottles was so obvious on TV yeah. against that backdrop, and it was hilarious to see. I love it. Uh, yeah, I saw guys like throwing the bottles in the air, trying to distract on the free throw. Great stuff from the student section there. But yeah, the, the first half, I think, in a lot of ways, set the tone for the game. The Friars hit huge shots, 7 of 11 from deep, also turned the ball over nine times and Xavier, I mean, they, they only had six second chance points, but 16 points in the paint. Xavier was getting the ball down low, winning in the paint and forcing more turnovers, but the Friars just made up for it with big play after big play. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it felt like Xavier controlled a lot of that first half. And I think the, the in game feeling was the same and it was kind of reflected in the body language of the players. But with that said, you know, we were hitting shots. We weren't playing poorly. Xavier just came to play, and they, they came out hot. Um, and Cooley said, alluded to this in the post-game press conference, too. He said, Travis had his guys ready to go. And like you and I said, Matt, while prepping for the game, this is a game that Xavier needed to win. You know, they're on a spiral right now. You know, they're flirting with becoming a bubble team after being ranked at one point this season. If... You know, things continue to go in the same direction. You have to question if Travis Steele is on the hot seat or not. So they had, yeah, they came out to play. They, they, they knew what was in front of them last night. Yeah. And this is, I mean, Saver, they, like we said on the preview, they've lost at Providence near the end of the last couple seasons. So they've struggled with this before. The flip side, the Friars have never swept Savior. <laughs> Heading into Wednesday night, I think you had two teams that were highly motivated. Xavier was sharper, but the Friars were tougher. That's how you get that halftime score. And then, man, that it just kept getting more bizarre the deeper into this you got. I, I think the, the biggest story of the second half, for most of the second half, <laughs> is the hernia <laughs> with Aldera. Boy, this is before we get to the, the shenanigans with the building itself. Just... Yeah, on TV, you could see, all right, Durham is in a lot of pain. You can watch him crawling over to the sideline, barely being able to make it to the locker room. In my head, I'm thinking, all right, well, we thought he could go. He couldn't go. He's done for the year. And five minutes later, he's back. Yeah. Um, I tell you, Matt, you know, the, the, the sentiment in the arena was very similar. Um Durham goes to the ground. Of course, there's no call because why would the officials call that? You know, he fell to the ground on purpose. Obviously, he goes to the ground and crawls over to the bench like a snail, like like literally like a cartoon snail. That's what his body looked like, like doubled over in pain. He's pulling his jersey off like he's in tears. A few minutes later, he comes jogging out of the tunnel. I don't know what they gave him in that tunnel. Maybe it was Michael Jordan's secret stuff from Space Jam. Um, Maybe. Maybe this is what that mysterious pink drink at the uh, Dunk Media Room does. 
Ah, very good point. We finally discovered its purpose. It it cures the pain of sports hernias. Um, yes. No. Yeah, I mean, for those for those out of the loop on that, by the way, real quick, the uh, the media at most media rooms have a variety of drinks for people. Usually, coffee, tea, water, and some sodas. At the dunk, there's I think one coffee machine and just a medium sized like. I don't know. One of those things you fill up with like sangria at a party. One of those jars. It's, it's like a gallon with, dispenser. Yeah. Filled with just a pink liquid with ice in it, <laughs> which I assume is some kind of Gatorade or Powerade. And that's never refilled. There's no water. This is your only option if you don't want coffee. I thought it was like um like a crystal light raspberry lemonade or pink lemonade type drink. But the flavor is so bare and bland that I can't even uh, also I drank I it for it. four years. I have no idea what it was. Yeah. And then you're right, Matt. It, it goes empty at halftime and no one bothers to fill it up. So if you're <laughs> thirsty, you can either at halftime, if you're thirsty, you can have a hot cup of coffee or um, a cup of ice from that thing. And then that's about it. That's why I always brought my own water. But we digress. The hernia. So right, the hernia. I don't know what they. I don't know what they did to him in the locker room. Realistically, they probably stretched him out and threw him on an IV for a couple minutes. But comes out, you know, looks perky. He's like jogging out of the tunnel, jumps over the seats, and goes right back in. So, yeah. you know, this is something we've seen from him a lot over the past month. As he goes down, winces in pain, maybe takes a few minutes on the bench, gets a blow, and then comes back in later. This was probably one of the quicker turnarounds following one of the the more dramatic falls and, and exits to the tunnel. Yeah. And it was just like, you're watching. And I, one of my favorite things is you could tell, uh, you know, this about Cooley. Sometimes he likes to get the crowd involved when they lost to Villanova. He fessed up to the fact that he put on a press cause he thought it was going to get the crowd into the game. And that's when Eric Dixon got behind it. You could tell he was playing the crowd when he put Al Durham in. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know. Did you see when he sent Durham to the scorer's table? I don't know if I was watching that exact moment. Why? It was right. The second he sent him over was right when we started pressing. (laughs) The second they inbounded the ball, Ed waves to Al. And I knew that was intentional to try to get the crowd into the game to help out. It came back. I think Friars were down four or five points with about eight minutes left. And... It was, I mean, he did a lot down the stretch. I know in the next couple of minutes, he had, I think, four points to assist, something like that. Yeah, he had a really good, a good all-around game. Um, and I just want to comment on what you just said about Ed Cooley getting the crowd into it. If there's ever a coach that I've seen use the, the building and the atmosphere to his advantage, it's totally Ed Cooley. Um, well, I guess we can say Danny Hurley now because of that technical foul trying to hype the crowd up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but anyway, I, I I think Cooley does a fantastic job of drawing up the right plays and creating the right momentum um, with respect to body language. You know, turning, clapping, getting the crowd into it, communicating with the crowd. I think he just does a good job of getting the crowd to play as like that intangible six man that he always credits them of being. Yeah, he does. He gets them into it. And then the, the Friars hit those shots in the second half that they needed to. I mean, second half, they trailed for, again, most of it. Xavier, 15 minutes and 38 seconds with the lead in the second half. Friars, two minutes and seven seconds. But they, and I think, we kind of got to talk to this game 
up until the two minute and 43 second mark left in the second half, because that's when everything changed. Yep. But in that stretch, it was just, I mean, you saw AJ Reeves hit a three, Horkler knocked down a three, and Hork- this was not one of Horkler's best games, but late, he's hitting the three you need. Reeves, he's hitting the three you need. Reeves had a fantastic game, at least on offense. And they were yeah, able to get, yeah, and they were able to just, they hung around the entire time. They were able to battle right back into it. Yeah. Um, uh, the, to the point you made, Matt, about trailing for most of the game, this is now a trend that we've seen um, against Xavier, against Butler, against Villanova, against DePaul. Uh, and I think it's Kevin Farhar from FryerBasketball.com that put this out on Twitter. I have to double check that and make sure I'm citing that correctly. But I saw that come out that the Friars have spent a significant amount of time trailing in a lot of our previous matchups. A win is a win, and I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. But that's a little concerning. Um, again, take with it what you will. Because at the end of the day, we're pulling the wins out, and it's important that we just keep winning. But trailing for a majority of games, especially a majority of high-stakes games like these, they're tough. It's tough. Yeah. And I was sitting there watching, and it was just – there were so many points in this game where it felt like, wow, this is – this is where it finally catches you. You play play with fire, and this is – I mean, obviously it happened to the Villanova game, but – they're a really good team. Xavier's not on that level. And it felt like, all right, this is going to be the game where we didn't, we didn't play our best 40 minutes. And because we didn't play our best 40 minutes, the, the five or 10 elite ones that we play aren't going to be quite enough to catch up because we dug ourselves too deep a hole. Yep. And I don't think any moment was more symbolic of that than what kind of ended up being the turning point in the game than the other direction. Dewan Odom shakes Nate Watson to the ground, puts Xavier up three, less than three minutes left. This was right after the Friars had taken the lead. You come out of the timeout. Xavier gets two quick buckets to take it back, and it was just so deflating, so deflating. And, yeah, I mean, I think we, you know what happened from that point on and why Watson swept. Just take us inside the building of what those next 15 minutes were like. So... Watson slips and, you know, kind of hushes the crowd um, because it's not very often that you see your 6'10 big man go to the ground like that for a t- such a tiny little guard. Like, And it's not even like it's Scruggs or it's Kunkel. It's, it's Odom, you know, like not not the most athletic guy, just like an average player. Watson's a fifth year, you know. It was just a sight out of the ordinary. The, the crowd kind of hushed for a second. Obviously, Watson got up and was fine, but he starts pointing at the floor um, and, you know, it's not abnormal for the managers to come out and wipe the floor after someone falls. But then all of a sudden, Jared Bynum is grabbing the mop and he's scrubbing the floor. And, you know, it, I just I, I had a chuckle because why is Bynum so intently scrubbing the floor? And then I see they're doing it on the far end, too, in the same spot. So, you know, there's the officials call a timeout and. They start talking to both coaches. They huddle both coaches at at midcourt. There's a lot of back and forth. Bob Driscoll goes out to the middle after he had been honored for his retirement. You know, you know, never a dull moment. He goes out, starts talking to the Dunkin' Donuts Center staff. And 
all of a sudden two minutes turns to 12 minutes and you know fans are getting restless there's rumors and murmurs floating around oh they're gonna move the the game to alumni hall tomorrow morning or oh my god they're gonna they're gonna the officials are gonna call the game and the score is gonna stand because there's insignificant amount of time left and you just don't know what's going on finally they they bring travis Steele and they bring ed cooley in the middle they start talking and cooley puts his hands on everyone's shoulders and he's like you can tell he's animated in the way he's speaking so can't relay what that was because i was not on the court but a few minutes passes after that and all of a sudden the players start warming up again and you know it's game on and finally someone screams out in my section he goes oh i just got a text apparently the roof is leaking so from my point of view, someone who is, who's been a Friar student, who's a Friar alumni, who's been through several years of games at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, I thought it was the condensation from the ice rink beneath the court because that's something, Matt, that we've seen before against Marquette in 2017, against Seton Hall in 2018, where players slip and slide on warmer February days because the ice starts to melt and the condensation rises up to the court. That, in fact, was not the case despite the 66-degree day yesterday. It was actually something leaking from the roof. Um, yeah. So I can I can pick it up here because they actually talked about this on the broadcast. I don't know how much of it you heard in the stadium. It's, from what they said on the broadcast, there was rainwater, I believe, of some kind that had collected on the roof. And because the wind was blowing so strong, it was blowing it into the arena in some way. So there must be a hole up there in that roof somewhere. Good to know. But <laughs> that that's basically what they said is what it was come how it was coming through. And I remember because I thought, I don't know, the sequence of events in my head was first, all right, Watson's pointing at the floor, saying it's slippery. All right, yeah, we get it. You're a six ten guy that just got. You're, you just got your jock strap put into the ceiling by a guard and you're just trying to save some face by saying, hey, it wasn't me. It was the floor. Like, I, we get it. It's all right. And then you just it was a timeout and they go to commercial break and you come back. and It was like, wait, they're not they're not getting ready for play. What's going on here? And that's when you start to see the mops. That's where it clicked. Like, oh, yeah, I went out for a walk earlier. It's really warm out. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those games start coming back to me. And it was funny. They, You're talking about the leaking and how you assumed it was the condensation. They were doing the same thing on the broadcast because the players were all pointing at the ceiling. And on the broadcast, they're going, I don't know what they're talking about. They think something's coming from the top, but it's the condensation. Like, we know what's going on here. And it wasn't until the ref came over and talked to the broadcasters that they found out, oh, it actually is raining. We basically have an indoor rain delay is what's going on here with the water coming through the roof. Uh, but, yeah, no, they actually they told us on the broadcast that if they couldn't get the arena ready for play, they were going to put the teams on the buses, head back to alumni and finish the game there. No, no cameras, no fans. Oh, that would have gone over really well. Yeah, which I was just thinking my first thought they said that is how the hell are we supposed to do a podcast if we can't see the last two minutes and 43 seconds of the most important game the Friars have played this season? You going into it down three like this is this is going to be a nightmare. And just like that, it was fixed. It's crazy. It was such a big issue. It seemed like they couldn't clear anything for 15 minutes there. And they said, all right, we're ready for play. And it was not an issue again for the rest of the game, even though I'm assuming it was still plenty warm in there. 
it, well, one, you did feel the AC kick on about halfway through that sequence. So I'm sure someone somewhere said, let's nip this in the butt right now. If Even if it is a leak from the ceiling, I don't want someone slipping because of the condensation because it did get chilly in there. I will put that out there. Two, um, it, it, for something that seemed like it, it was going to like have a drastic impact on how the game was going to get played out like with respect to ge- geographical, physical location – it was resolved rather quickly now that it's described. But um, furthermore, I digress. It was just a bizarre turn of events. Ate up 16 minutes of time. At that point, like the beer stands are closed, so you can't really do anything else but stand there um, and twiddle your thumbs until there's a solution. Yeah. And then kind of proverbially the lights come back on. <laughs> it's time to go again. And, man, it was – in a lot of ways, in my opinion, the hero of the second half who lit that match for the Friars after that, because it was Providence ball after that whole thing. You're playing Colt. All you've done for the last 60 minutes is stand around and walk across the floor a couple times. That's it. You come out and A.J. Reeves takes a deep straightaway three and just bangs at home. Tie game. That so, was, Matt, that's the coldest shot I've ever seen in my life. In our in our pre pre podcast prep, I told you I had a play of the game, but I didn't want to tell you because I wanted you to be surprised. That is my play of the game. And I think there's an intangible aspect to this play that you might not have caught on the live broadcast. But this is something I caught in the arena in the huddle before returning to play. Cooley kept pointing at AJ. He was talking to Jared. He kept pointing at AJ, pointing at AJ, pointing at AJ. Then finally. The play starts unfolding. There was a successful inbounds play, which we couldn't seem to handle for the entire night. The inbounds play is successful. Jared has the ball. Cooley points at AJ, right? AJ passes up on the first one, step back, drains the three. And this might be something intangible, but we talked about it on the pregame prep. This is something that's been floating around the, the Friar Twitter spaces a lot lately, is AJ Reeves and his ability to hit clutch threes late in the game. And... I just thought it was so cool to see Ed Cooley in the prep, in the huddle, pointing at A.J. Reeves saying, "It's you're going to get it, you're going to get it, you're going to get it. 30 seconds later, the kid delivers. That was the shot of the game, in my opinion. A hundred percent agreed. One hundred percent agreed. Because if he doesn't hit that shot, the way Providence's defense was going, Xavier might go down the other end, make it a five-point five game, six-point game. Yep. And now it's, all right, the arena is pretty damn quiet in a lot of ways at that point after what just happened you can't like you said you can't go buy beer so it's not going to be as rowdy as it was half an hour before yep and you're down by two possessions with two minutes left that's where you are if you miss that shot and to see reed i mean i'm just so proud of reed as a person for hitting that because his specialty has always been kind of hitting these in phase in flow shots with the crowd roaring and everything on his back and the, the closing seconds and this was not that this was again you, you couldn't warm up into it he hasn't shot a basketball in quite a way he hasn't touched a basketball in probably 20 minutes and he's going to come in and it was not in fit like that play did not go off smoothly. That was not how they drew it up. They drew it up for him to get the shot, but not quite the way he did it. And he still got just enough space and knocked it home anyway. That's yeah. And that was, that was such a turning point in the game. And that was kind of like, all right, that, that decided this is the game right here. This is a game. And then the final 
Yeah, you you go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, um, it, just on Reeves as a whole, like a holistic view of him since you know coming back from injury. The Villanova game, he obviously had a, a strong offensive presence. At Butler, was quiet for most of the game, but hit two of the most important shots of the game. Now against Butler, was active on offense consistently throughout the game and hit the shot of the game. Th- this is what you wanted to see from the senior. This is why we gave him a two-minute you know, analyzation on the pregame podcast. You need this out of him, and he's playing with a lot of confidence. And as we've said in the past, when Reeves overdoses on confidence – it's one hell of a drug. So mm-hmm. whatever they're whispering in his ear, whatever they're telling him, they need to keep it up because the play of A.J. Reeves has been fantastic. Yeah. And if you if you take out the stretch where he came back but wasn't fully back because of the injury, I mean, he's just been electric for the last know, two months of him actually playing basketball. He's yeah. been over. He's been a double figure scorer. I mean, if you count him as a double figure scorer and you take out those games where he wasn't playing because he was hurt. The Friars have five guys averaging double figures this year, which is insane. But he hits that shot, and that's with two and a half to go. So that ties it. Teams kind of go back and forth. Durham hits a free throw. Watson hits a free throw. Nunji gets a layup. And you go into the final minute, tied. And then, oh, my God. The Zach, the Zach Freeman, was this, tournament? was this a, a putback? They have, Xavier had so many putbacks and so many second chance points throughout this game. It was so frustrating to watch. But I know Fremantle scored with under a minute left, and Xavier has the lead. I think it was just a, a regular shot on Horkler, if I'm remembering this correctly. And I could be wrong. There were so many, so many, so many things to remember from last night and so many different, like, X many minutes left until the end of the game, quote unquote. So yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think he just backed down Horkler. Um, yeah, I'm not did, seeing a rebound or anything on this stat sheet. I don't have the live game up in front of me right now. But yeah, that's, I mean, Fremantle gave the Friars problems all night. I didn't realize this. They said it on the broadcast. Fremantle has scored in double figures every single time he's played Providence. He, he scored in double figures every time he's played Providence. And for every double Every point that he scored, multiply it by ten, and that's how many times he bitches to the refs during the games. If you're if you're under twelve, don't listen to what I just said. But he is him and Jack Nunji for two big men are so freaking mentally soft with respect to foul calls. It it blows my mind. And I, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, even though I do this all the time. I just if you are a Division One college basketball player. Have some freaking pride. Like, Zach Fremantle throws his hands up. He's bitching and crying to the refs the entire game. Like, you have somewhat of a shred of athletic ability and basketball talent. Use that to speak. Like, why do you have to bitch every time the call doesn't go your way? And I get it. It's it's the way Travis Steele coaches, so you're going to pick up and what's it's, delivered. It's, it's, it's what works the refs, too. It's the same reason why Dan Hurley does it, because usually if you do it enough, you get an extra call or two. Yeah. I just it drives me nuts. My entire section was chirping Fremantle every time he got called for a foul. It was it it became a joke by the end of the night. Like, oh, Fremantle's crying again. Like someone get him his binky. (laughs) But yeah, Fremantle hits that shot. And then it's it's hernia time. It's Mr. Al Durham (laughs) in the clutch again. And this is by the end of this game. I mean, Nate Watson was not a non-factor, but 
they, the Friars could not get him the ball. It wasn't a matter of him hitting or missing shots. They couldn't get him the ball. And he's the centerpiece of the offense. So you kind of have the guards scrambling to try to make something happen. Durham does it. A little turnaround jumper by the baseline. Swish. Tie game. That was... If you had to pick... I mean, there's so many plays you could have picked as the play of the game. And this is just right up there with it. That The yep. game-tying shot with under 30... I mean, it's crazy. You can talk about this game. And a game-tying shot with under 30 seconds left might not be in the top five biggest plays. But here we are. That's how insane this game was. Yeah, I agree. 100%. And then, this is... I, it happened again where Providence is playing Xavier and the shot clock is off. Xavier has the ball. Game's tied. They got a chance to go win the game. Take the last shot. And let me tell you, because they, they didn't get it, the Cintas Center. And when it came down to these final 30 seconds of regulation, all I could think of in my head was, all right, they're due. They missed it the last time. They're going to hit it this time. I was so sure that was going to happen. I was so worried. And wow, did the defense stand tall. Yeah, that was Matt. That was the best defensive stand of quite honestly the year, I would say. Um, I, I was in a very similar boat as you. I was holding my breath for those final 20 or so seconds because I was under the impression I was like, all right, this is what we get. We over celebrated when Bynum hit the three. They're going to do it to us now. And um uh, Mr. Adam Kunkel, the same man that was hushing the crowd, did not hit the, sh- the game-winning shot. So, thank you for hushing the crowd. You looked like an idiot. And that was the Friars played it well. It was a it was a pick, and they switched on it, and it was Durham on Kunkel, which usually you never. Sorry, not Durham. It was Watson, Watson. on Kunkel, which usually you never want to see that because it, I mean Kunkel is just so much quicker. Yep. But with the time situation, Kunkel did not have time to go to the rim, has to go for the fadeaway. And I mean, I'm always going to be a, if the last shot against you is going to be a fadeaway from I mean, Kunkel, he's probably their sixth option. He had a good night. He had 20 points. He had a really good night. But if it's a fadeaway from your sixth option with the center's hand in his face, I'm going to take that 10 times out of 10. If that's what you're giving me for a last shot. I was very happy that the Friars forced to that look of all looks. Short off the rim, we're going overtime. Overtime number one. Yeah, because that was... This is where... I, I was losing my mind. I mean, I felt like I was in a fever dream at that point. Because you played two and a half hours of basketball, and it's like, okay, still it's tied after the first half, and now it's tied after the second half. Got to keep going. I don't even I'm, I'm looking at the scoreboard here trying to remember things that happened. And it's <laughs> it's it's insane. It all melds together because that's just how insane everything about the game was. I'll be honest, Matt. I watched um, on YouTube FryBasketball.com's 10 minute highlight tape of the video. And for anyone who hasn't checked them out, they do a fantastic job of piecing together post game highlights. Um, so I would go check those out. Really, really good recaps. But I'm watching the video and I'm like, oh, I forgot that play. Oh, I forgot that play. Oh, I forgot that. Like so much happened. Like and when I say so much happened, it was 55 minutes of basketball across three and a half hours. So much happened. You could write novels about this game. But yeah, it's Xavier started that first overtime period with five points in a row. Five oh run. 
and again, it was another moment where it's like, all right, Friars pushed it too far. Yeah. Yeah. And then bottom drive, foul, and one hits it. You're within two. You get a stop. And then it was Manaya with a putback. I mean, Manaya, yeah. who it felt like, I mean, every you play 55 minutes of basketball and you score nearly 200 points combined. Everybody is going to be in double figures. But I mean, Manaya, this was his 12th point of the game, knocking that back. I don't remember him scoring before that. <laughs> I, I was going to say, all of a sudden on the, the score on the Jumbotron, like they have a little score sheet on the side. All of a sudden it said number 15 at 12. I was like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, and it's but two of the most again, you want to talk about this is another play that could be the play of the game. A put back off a miss, just a tip in, tap it. And that's that's what ends up in the end sending you to the second overtime. But you can't talk about the end of the first overtime without again, it's Xavier with the ball, tie game, shot clock off. I, again, um, and that, I, this one was somehow more chaotic than anything that had happened in the other two. It, it felt like deja vu standing there. I was like, again, like I was like, after the first half, you'd think we'd learn to like manage the, 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 the clock better. Here we are again. Xavier has the has the the final possession to win the game. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. And it was just like, all right. And it was Kunkel who drove. And I'm going to be honest, it's. There was a lot of contact on this one. I don't know how there wasn't a foul on it. I watched the replay. It looked mostly clean, but still, you watch that many big bodies going up and that much contact and guys crashing to the ground, and it's like, all right, how's there no no whistle on that? They kind of got a block on that with, I don't know, seven seconds left as Kunkel drove. Yep. And then Horkler gets it, passes it up to Durham, and you're thinking, all right, here we go again. First of all, this is now three stops and three tries in over two games when Xavier had a chance to win it. So huge props to the defense on that. But you got Durham. He's thinking, all right, I could do what we did at Cincinnati. We can go get across half court, get it to somebody, fire up a shot and try to win this thing. And Kunkel pickpockets him. <laughs> but. And then he steps out of bounds. Yeah. For- and I just. I just sit there and say, like, what the hell am I watching? For a player like Kunkel, um, who is objectively a good three-point shooter, you know, not not your top option, not the last man off the bench. He's a good scorer. Um, for a kid like him to be hushing the crowd and, you know, giving smiles to all the Providence fans after he scores, like, way to shit the bed during crunch time dude like you miss the shot at the end of regulation you get your shit blocked under the hoop and excuse my french i'm going off on him right now and then you pickpocket the the guy that's likely gonna to steal the win from you and then you step out of bounds with the ball like talk about no composure from someone who can't wait to boast every time he does something good i thought like just symbolically it was fantastic to watch him mess up at, at the end of the game and that was as an emotional roller coaster. It's Xavier. You're, you're starting pretty low with Xavier has the ball. They've missed twice now with the game on the line. Third time's the charm. No yeah. way. No way. Do they mess this up? It's not going to happen. And then. They 
do miss, you see all that contact and you go, oh, we're going, it's going to the line. That's for sure what's about to happen. So you're even lower. And then you realize no foul. Friars have the ball. You go in across half court. You're all the way up top because it's we might steal this. We might actually get this win right here. And then you lose the ball and you see Kunkel turn in the corner with it. And it's, oh, my God, he's going to hit a buzzer beater. And then the, the ref comes over. John Gaffney saving the day, pointing at the, the line where he steps out of bounds. And then the Friars go for Al Durham in the corner to try to win it there at the end of the first overtime. Shot was pretty far off. But at that point, I think I was just happy to get out of that first overtime alive. Yeah. Um, not to mention, and I watched this on the replay, Al Durham, like, he takes some contact. I don't know if I would have called it a foul, but he falls on that shot. Fremantle, like, stares him down and then, like, trots away. Like, like what? Like, I don't know. Uh, as the game got more and more tense in overtime, the more and more aggravated I got with the personalities of the Xavier players. Um, maybe it you was could, just exhaustion. Yeah. But... Yeah, you could tell at this point they, these teams... I don't, know. I don't think there's I don't think there's a personal dislike between the two teams, but there is a basketball dislike. They do not like playing against each other. No. Both, and it's both teams were kind of desperate. Well, I wouldn't say both teams were desperate. I'd say both teams were just incredibly hungry. I don't, I don't really think either team played with desperation at, at any point, really, honestly. Uh, it, yeah, no, they just. I, it was two incredibly tough teams just going punch for punch. Yeah, it was a, it was a good old fashioned Big East rock fight. Um, with respect to narratives, Xavier, this was a desperate must win for Xavier. For Xavier, um, I wouldn't call it desperate for us, but it, it was definitely uh, you'd like to have this win in your back pocket, especially with respect to the Big East regular season title looming over your head. So, again, not necessarily desperate from either side, like you said, Matt, but a sense of urgency for both sides. Like, this is a, a game we, we would prefer to win. Yeah, and it got to a point where I coolly said it after, and in a lot of ways, both teams earned the victory. Both teams played well enough to win, and you could tell from both sides. There was this just, you, you looked at the huddle, and there was this look of intensity, like, I'm tired, I want out, I'm not bowing down first. I mean, yeah. that was oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody embodies that in the second overtime more than Paul Scruggs, who, well, I mean, we just talked about how Xavier goes up in the first overtime. The Friars battle back. You get the reverse in the second overtime. The yep. Friars finally start to get just a little bit of separation. They score the first two baskets of the frame. Bynum hits two. You're up four. Then Scruggs. Scruggs. Kunkel <laughs> Scruggs hits a lap. Scruggs gets two at the free throw line. Kunkel hits a jumper. All of a sudden, there's a minute and a half left, and you're down by two. So, you want to hear something funny, Matt, uh, about being in the arena for this? When we transitioned and when there was a pause in between the first and second overtimes, I got up from my seat to use the men's room, and of course, the line is out the door, but I you know, couldn't wait any longer. So I'm online. I keep hearing cheers, you know, and I'm in the men's room and, and we hear two loud cheers back to back, a third loud cheer. So I say to the guy next to me, I'm like, you know what? That was a basket, a defensive stop, and then another basket. We're going to be up two possessions. I come out and the score is 
<laughs> Spot on. I was like, wow, would you look at that? Yeah, perfect. And then it just as quickly as it happened, it went away. And that was so frustrating because it was all right. Xavier, Xavier willed itself back into the game. And then Bynum gets some points. I Honestly, Bynum went one for two with the line. And in some ways, that, that felt like a blessing in disguise at that point because for a game that spent so much time being tied, it was like, all right, at least we're at odd numbers. When these teams kind of trade baskets, it's going to be f- to retake the lead, and we're not going to get a third overtime period. Obviously, at this point, we're not going to get a third overtime period. And then jumper from Bynum, two free throws from Breed, and you're up by three with 20 seconds left. I felt pretty good at that point. By the way, and I, I'll, I'll uh, elaborate on this more, Alan Breed, and Jared Bynum are co-players of the game, in my opinion. Um, talk about, you know, living up to the moment and putting your big boy pants on for Alan Breed. But I'll talk about that once we're done recapping the game. But just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And then this is where, I mean, Paul, I, I think the Friars at this point had no legs left. And Paul Scruggs exploited it because he saw it was just, well, I mean, first, sorry, I got it. You got to put this in context with Breed for this at this point in the game. Durham had just fouled out. Now it's Breed's time. Yep. And Friars are tired. Scruggs goes length of the floor, five seconds, jumper over Manaya. Good. You're within one. Breed gets fouled. Two free throws. Scruggs goes length of the floor again, draws the foul, hits them both. Two point game. I'm oh, sorry. One point game. And then the strangest play of the game with the flagrant foul. That it's again, the, that was just, no one really understood what happened. Um, all of a sudden, you know, it, we're, we're looking and the officials are calling something and Nunji is very animated towards the officiating crew. They show the replay on the, on the dunk uh, on the big screen the crowd starts booing and Nunji fouled out and Watson's at the line. We're like, oh, I guess that happened because no one's eyes were on that play. Everyone was no. watching the baseline for the inbounds. And it wasn't even on the TV screens. They had to scramble to figure out what was going on. My first thought when you hear the whistle blew, the Friars were going back to that play where they pass it in on the baseline and try to switch who's receiving the pass with Manaya. Uh, I love that play. Yeah, and they were doing instead of Durham, they were doing it with Breed this time. Yep. And then we are exact same thing. And Xavier was all over it. In fact, they followed Manaya onto the baseline, which I still I have no idea if that's legal or not. No idea what the rules are around that. I'm gonna have to research that. But as soon as I heard the whistle, my first thought is, oh, okay. They followed this guy out of bounds and fouled him. And that's the call. And the next thing you know, oh, it's literally as far away as you could get from that on the court. <laughs> So, if anything, um, Nunji bailed us out of the play collapsing. You know what I mean? Like, if Xavier – and I said this too, is that you'd think that with – we ran that play against St. John's, and then we ran it again against DePaul. I think we ran it again against Villanova or Butler. I'm not sure. I said at one point or another, one of these teams has to scout that play and understand that Manaya is going to jump out of bounds. Xavier finally did it. They go out and they foul him out of bounds and Nunji screws the whole thing up. Yeah, and I don't know what the hell he was doing because, I mean, was it a light call? Maybe. 
Was it the correct call? Absolutely. One, if you foul away from the ball there, that's going to be a flagrant 10 times out of 10. It has to be. There's no other way to do that. And he put two hands on Watson and pushed him. Doesn't really, I mean, doesn't really matter how hard you do it. If you're doing that with four fouls in the second overtime, what are you doing? Away from, there's no reason for it. It was a foul of stupidity. And yet, and then (laughs) the Friars can't make him pay. No. Uh, it just no. But it was still yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And Watson, he hits one of two. You get the ball in bounds. It's to Breed. He hits one of two. So he went five of six coming in mostly cold down the stretch. But he misses the second one. And this is where it was just like, are you kidding me? You're up three. Six seconds left. And who is it yet again? It's Paul Scruggs. Length of the floor, three-pointer, bangs in at the buzzer. And we're going to another overtime. Uh, I honestly, at that point, I was like, oh, my God. It's already after 10. Um, We already had a 15-minute delay and two overtimes. I was like, I can't believe he made that shot. And to be quite honest with you, the atmosphere in the building was deflated. Like, everyone felt defeated after that, like, great like here we go again like xavier just will not die we keep trying to 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 cut the jugular they just will not die no and it's i'm gonna be i was not at all surprised when the shot went in because i don't know you could see because it it was off a miss there was no inbounds play the friars didn't couldn't set up a defense on it and Manaya was trying to foul him, and he just couldn't catch up. His legs were dead at that point. Manaya played one hell of a game on defense from start to finish. He had he nothing left. Yeah, and it then, said that in the press conference, too. He said, yeah, uh, you know, we're on yeah. dead legs. And I went back and watched that a couple times again. And yeah, it's obvious. And then with how wide open that look was and what Scruggs was doing in overtime, I knew this and how clean the look was, too. I was as perfect of a three-pointer as you're going to get in that opportunity. I, just, I was going to be more shocked if it missed. Yeah. It was just, well, we're in. And we're going to a third overtime. I, it's just, at that point, I was just there like, well, I, I have no, I have lost all rational explanation for this game. Uh, there's no, there's something outside of our knowing is controlling the events on the floor at this point because I'm out of, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it, it was so bizarre. And, and then, of course, you know, they go to the monitor and you think, oh, maybe his foot's on the line. It looked perfect for, in real time, but you have a shred of hope that maybe the poor officiating will carry over into monitoring the replay and they'll say it's a two and we get the win. I just, and nope. Go out there, and it's time for triple overtime, and it's ten thirty at night. Yeah, and it's—I mean—you had a clock error on the tip. I, I don't even remember if that was the second or the third overtime. I think both of them had miscues on the tip, and then the um, you had the, the foul trouble at this point, and that's I think in a lot of ways what decided the game in the third overtime. For the Friars, you're missing Durham and Reeves. For Xavier, you're missing Odom and Nunji. And in some ways, I think this might have been a blessing in disguise for Providence because as good as Reeves was, without Dur- without him and Durham, it's Breed. And Breed is a much better defender. And 
He locked down Scruggs at points in overtime. He had a couple key shots. Xavier forced to play that zone defense. Watson finally gets going a little bit. He gets four points in the third overtime. And you build that two-point lead for the uh, the other closer, Jared Bynum, to come in and do his thing. Just walk us through that. So, obviously, you know, off of inbound plays, you know, don't really know what to expect. They've been collapsing at, at, at every opportunity on the night with the inbounds plays. This one goes fine. Um, Bynum to Horkler, Horkler back to Bynum to Breed to Bynum. Shot clock's running down, and this is again something a trend that the 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 fans in my section were were. <laughs> Not afraid to point out, but everyone surrounding us is like, oh, my God, the shot clock is, is running down. We're 14, 12, 8, 4. Like, everyone's like, come on. And then you hear the same sentiment throughout the stadium. Like, come on, you got to do something. Bynum heaves the shot. I turn to my girlfriend. I go, I can't look. And I turn my head. And all of a sudden, the crowd erupts. And you look, he drilled it. And... Uh, this is the the one time I'll say I actually wish I could have heard the CBS Sports Network broadcaster call, and I'll never say it again. I'll <laughs> never say that again. I wish I could have heard that call in real time because when I watch the replays, it gives me the chills. But, man, the, the dunk, I don't think I've ever heard it as loud as when he hit that shot. Yeah, Andrew Catalan, perfect call on that. Bynum from Pawtucket is what he said on that one. Make sure you go watch his clip. He had a great call. I didn't even remember it in live time because, I mean, I mean, you know exactly how it is. When that ball goes in the air and something like that, it hangs in the air yep. for hours. And you're just you're just waiting and you're thinking of every possible way that this could go after that. And the Friars offense for most of the overtimes was really sluggish in a large part because they, they lost their best shooter in Reeves and probably their second best driver in Durham and it's like alright and Watson got taken out by Nunji so it's alright it's Bynum or bust this is we're, just rock, we're rocking with our guy this is the guy who's going to score if anybody's doing it it's him Breed he had two points in the third overtime had a little floater huge Watson he had four points had a huge offensive rebound and put back great stuff but you knew if you were going to come away with this game. Bynum's got to hit something. Yeah. And, and just that was oh. that was the that put the Friars up five. That was the largest lead of the game with a minute and a half left in the third overtime period. Yeah. And you you could sense the body language from both teams following that. The body language of both coaches following that and just the atmosphere in the building that that was game set match. Um Xavier looked defeated. Fremantle looked like he was going to cry. And Jared Bynum was on top of the world. Um, and then you could see it defensively, too, the, on the Friars' next defensive stand. They were locked in and motivated. It, it just – Bynum called game twice against Xavier. So we can we can very successfully and confidently say now that Bynum owns Xavier basketball, and he is now in charge of Travis Steele. <laughs> yeah, and it was, I said it was a minute and a half left. It was with 30 seconds. I have no concept of the time in this game <laughs> just because, yeah, you play 55 minutes of basketball, it loses all meaning. You're in, I mean, there were 20 do or die situations in this ball game. So, yeah, it was, it was a mess for me emotionally. But, yeah, you hit that shot 
and that felt like you could finally exhale. There was breathing room, and it was just as long as the Aphir doesn't do something crazy here, you've got. It. They didn't. Porker hits two free throws, and whew, you're walking out with a win. Yeah, and a, a well-deserved win at that. Um, can I can I tell you what my favorite reaction to this Jared Bynum shot was? Sure. I didn't. I didn't discover this until I was rewatching the footage this morning. And they cut to it very briefly on the sideline was what looks like Al Durham staying on like a chair or something going, running his finger across his throat after that shot. It's yeah. The most Al Durham thing in the world. Like you're slitting their necks. Um, yeah. I saw that today, too. That made me that gave me a good chuckle. Um, and again, I think. That just shows you like Durham, who has been coined the closer, who is the t- typically the guy you look to for that clutch late game composure, that clutch late game bucket, the free throws is so excited and happy just for the win for his teammate, Jared Bynum, who hit the shot. It it, it completely, completely, completely plays into the narrative of, you know, this team plays for one another on a night when shifting gears here. Watson, you know, for he got shut down. They did a good job. Still puts up 12 points and still impacts the game in intangible ways. They're throwing three bodies at him. That's fine. Opens us up for 14 three-pointers. And that's, again, something we highlighted in the pregame preview is that if you want to throw all your bodies in at Watson, that's fine. We're going to make you pay from outside. That's exactly what happened. So, you know, again, this is a holistic team effort. And this is what I wanted to talk about with Alan Breed, too, because I think him and Jared Bynum are co-players of the game. Breed only played 16 minutes and only had seven points, five of which came from the stripe. Those are the five most important free throws he's hit all season. And I just think it says so much about the depth of this team, the camaraderie of this team. Normally, that's Al Durham's spotlight is hitting the free throws in the late game situations. Al Durham comes off the bench cold, hasn't played in, in and, and at that point, almost an hour and a half because of all the delays and overtimes starts just sinking free throws. Cool, common, collected. Yeah. Holy clutch. And you know what was a little bit of foreshadowing for this for me? I, I realized this when Breed stepped to the line. I was on just I, I was I always review the stats, usually on a daily basis at this point in the season, going through it, trying to figure out, make sure I'm on top of everything. I was on the Bart Torvik's website, just looking at all kinds of things about shooting splits and everything for Providence. They color code the best players for certain things. I noticed I see. All right. Here's the the guy highlighted in green for free throws. That's Al Durham. And then I look at it again and realize, wait, that's not Al Durham. That's Alan Breed. He's our highest percentage free throw shooter. And I looked at it again. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's just Sam. He doesn't take that many. Durham's really the best. But man, that was foreshadowing because it's Breed who comes up clutch at the end. He's I mean, five of six. We needed him. Huge, huge stones on that kid. And Watson said after the game, he was telling him, "Be they're like, this is your your moment in the, in the huddle." And I mean, the Friars have not one but two owls who can hit the free throws that they need. So the yeah. power of Al, Al B and Al D. Um, yeah, that that was. I, I thought that was so so important to this win. Um, and obviously, Ed Cooley did too. That's why. Al, that's why Alan Breed was at the press conference. Um, 
and that just again it goes to show you the little things um we can talk about Bynum's 27 points his game winning three or we could talk about you know AJ Reeves with five three pointers or the the rebound that Horkler got the bucket that Nate got late again you could talk about so many different things and the one that flies under the radar is the seventh or eighth man off the bench sinking his free throws it's just so many different intangible elements to this game that 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 led the Friars to a victory. Um, and, and man, I'm still having trouble comprehending it. That was one hell of a night. Yeah, it was something else. I'm just going to run through some of the numbers here quickly. And the sheer, I mean, the Friars scored 99 points. <laughs> Everybody was scoring, with the exception of Ed Croswell. Croswell didn't play that much and only had two points. Not his game. With Nunji out there, it's not, not the game where he's going to excel. And Fonts is technically on the score sheet because he played the last 12 seconds. Other than that, Jared Bynum leads all scorers, 27 points, 10 of 21 from the field, 5 of 10 from deep, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists, plus a steal. Your next leading scorer, Reeves, 16 points, 5 of 10 from the field, all 5 were 3s, 6 rebounds for him. Durham, he had 13 points, he was 7 of 8 from the free throw line, led the team with 6 assists. Watson, 12 points. Manaya, 12 points. He knocked down two threes. Horkler, 10 points. He had two threes and the final two free throws of the game to seal it, plus nine rebounds. This is probably Horkler's, I don't know if it's his worst game of the season, but one of his worst efforts of the season. And he still was near a double-double. Again, a lot of that's volume, 55 minutes of basketball, but just a complete effort. And I don't know. This is not the best team in all of basketball, but they are, without a doubt, the toughest. And I'm not sure which one's more important when it comes to actually winning games because the Friars have out-toughed teams that are more skilled than them all season long and come away with victories. I mean, this is 13 victories in conference play for the first time in program history. And now a shot to win the title Saturday night against Creighton. Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. The the this Providence Fire team, by no metric, no written metric, is the best in college basketball, um, and I think that's an objective statement. We are absolutely the toughest, and Ken Palm can take his metrics and shove them because there's nothing that measures toughness. There's nothing that measures grit. There's nothing that measures heart or soul or onions for that matter. So. For everyone who is, because now it's on full display that, you know, we're the luckiest team in America, you know, Ken Palm hates us, we hate Ken Palm, we're breaking the machine, all that stuff. All that all that stuff's good and fun, but it's on full display now that we are defying the metrics. And at the end of the day, the only metric that matters is wins versus losses. And right now I count 23 wins and three losses and a school record, school best, 13 Big East Conference wins. So if we're 46th than Ken Palm, so what? Who cares? Yeah. Friars currently 43rd in Ken Palm as of recording. 43rd this. in Ken Palm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, at this point in the season, that number is not going to change too drastically. We were 48 going uh, into that game against Marquette at home. And since that point, the number has really barely shifted in either direction because you've played so many games at that point. Single games are not going to do much to change today. It's kind of a by, by, by possession thing. But yeah, I mean, 
the, the other thing, one area where Ken Palm is incredibly useful, they break things down into more individual statistics that you can look at. And this is probably my favorite feature of the site because it gives you an idea of what a team does well and what they don't do well. And you see really a complete package. Not a lot of red on here. Fires above average with effective field goal percentage, offense and defense. Above average with offensive rebounding, offense and defense. Above average at for the free throw rate, how often you're into the free throw line on offense and defense. Top 10 nationally on offense in that stat. The only area in the, the they call them the four factors, effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, offensive rebounding percentage, and free throw rate. The only blemish is that this Friars defense doesn't force a ton of turnovers. That's it. And the defense is still incredibly efficient, still really good. And as we saw last night, perfectly capable of getting the stops when called upon. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it holistically, you know, to the naked eye, you think, oh, you let up 92 points. That's not great defense. 92 points in three overtimes, and you got the stops when they mattered. So in terms of uh, uh, total points, no. In terms of timeliness of stops and, and, you know, the efficiency of on-ball defense, yes, absolutely. And this, I mean, all season long, this Friars defense has gotten the stops when called upon. So incredible stuff. We could go on for hours about this game, but I do want to talk about the next game, at least briefly. Yeah. Friars get Creighton for the late game, 830 Saturday night. This is a Creighton team coming off a road win at St. John's, and they just lost Ryan Nemhard in that, who is uh, potentially the freshman of the year in the conference, a right wrist injury. He's he's done for the year. They won without him for most of the second half. Huge victory. This is going to be an interesting game because this is a Creighton team that one Providence has not played yet this year. Two, this team is incredibly young, and three, they have a seven-footer and play very good paint defense. Add it all up, I have no idea what the hell is going to happen Saturday night. This is the same Creighton team, mind you, that opened conference play by kicking Villanova in the teeth and beating them by double figures in a good old-fashioned curb stomp. Um, so, again, this is, Creighton has won one, two, three, four, five, six in a row coming into this one. Um, but, you know, th- keep in mind, this is a young Creighton team. Um, Creighton lost yeah, they all are, five starters. From last they're season, three hundred. They're three hundred and tenth in experience. This reminds me, Matt, of when, and this goes way back because this is now almost wow November. Okay, when we prepped for the Wisconsin game, we said along the lines of, you know, it's age versus beauty. You know, you've got young, raw talent versus the senior veteran group who's going to come out on top um i think you know you're, you're replicating that narrative going into this one because in a lot of respects this is a young and talented creighton team that's playing and exceeding expectations mind you they were not picked highly in the conference they were picked lower than the friars if i believe eighth um and here they are you know making a push for a top four seed in the in the the big east tournament so this is a, a, a an a surprising Creighton squad. I, I really don't know what to expect going into this one, to be quite honest with you, because Providence and Creighton play different styles of basketball. And we haven't seen them yet this season, and there's two games left on the schedule. 
Yeah, this is a Creighton team that, yeah. Well, one, we're not sure what they're going to look like without Nemhard. He's their assist leader. He scores in double figures for a game. That's going to be tough for them. They also don't shoot or defend the three ball particularly well. They're all right on defense. They don't shoot the three ball. And you look at this in experience, and it's like, all right, on one hand, this is a team that could come into the dunk, missing one of their best young players as an inexperienced team. And if they start missing shots early, they might get out of the flow of things. The crowd might get into it, and these young guys might not be able to handle it. The flip side, Ryan Hawkins is a guy who I, I believe he has won a championship every single season he's played college basketball. He just transferred up from Division Two. He's just a winner. He's a guy who you'd love to have in Providence, or just a really solid all-around player, a veteran. They have a leader in him. They have Alex O'Connell, who used to play at Duke. He's a leader. And Ryan Kalkbrenner is young, but not inexperienced at this point. He's had almost two full seasons under his belt. He might be thin, but we've seen seven-footers hang with Nate Watson before. We just watched it happen. And this is a guy who... I don't know. I mean, Colquitt's a pretty good player, and this is a pretty good paint defense for Creighton. So you can also see a scenario where they're able to stifle the Friars early, hit a couple of shots they don't usually hit, and all of a sudden, it's a team that's too young to know that they shouldn't win this game. <laughs> too too young for their own good. Um, yeah, I think you said it. You said it great, Matt. I mean, really. Um, you know, Kalk Brenner had some troubles with Watson last season. He's obviously he's grown and he's their second leading scorer now. So, you know, let's we'll see what that matchup, you know, holds for Saturday night. But again, this is a, a Creighton squad, like you said, you know, it's a mixed bag of things right now. And this is a Friars team that's playing for, you know, bragging rights right now is the Big East regular season title. So we can talk about things from the Creighton side of things. For the Friars, you know, it's senior night. This is the last time Nate Watson will ever play at the Dunkin' Donuts Center as a Providence Friar. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind as you're watching this game. But it, this is going to be, you know, but I think this is going to be a tough game. Um, I don't think we're going to blow them out. I don't think they're going to blow us out. I don't think it's going to be as long-winded and as physically bruising as this Xavier game. But it'll be tight, you know, and I think that's it's safe to expect that that for the remainder of the stretch of conference play and the Big East tournament, a lot of these games are going to be super tight. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's what the Friars have done. You look at this schedule for, for Providence over the past couple of weeks, triple overtime against Xavier, overtime against Butler. A game that comes down to the final minutes is, and is played essentially a one-possession game the entire way through against Villanova. Overtime against DePaul. Then you can settle in a little bit with the blowout against Georgetown, but you go back a little bit further. Close win at St. John's. Close win at home against Marquette. Close win at Xavier. This, this team has played one comfortable game since the end of January, really since mid-January. They haven't had comfortable wins all season long. I don't expect that to change Saturday night. But like you said, this is senior night. Getting to honor these guys, especially uh, you start at the top with Nate Watson. But this is an old team. But I, you expect this is the last time Watson was going to play at the dunk. Last time Durham is going to. Last time Horkler is going to. Uh, does Manaya have more eligibility? Manaya oh. and A.J. Reeves both have more eligibility, yes. 
Yeah. So they're up in the air. They could come back. Croswell could come back. So, well, I mean, we're going to see what this team looks like. The last time these guys are going to take the floor at the dunk, though, with a, with a shot at the Big East regular season championship for the first time in team history. Yeah, this is this is as good as it gets. Joe, we're both going to be there. I cannot wait. I'm excited, Matt. You know, the last time we were both in the building on senior night um, was against DePaul in 2020. So magical things happened that night. But, you know, this is Creighton. It's not DePaul. So I'm really excited for the game. You know, hopefully we'll be there and we can witness some history. Um, I mean, that's really it. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. 8.30, like we said, Saturday night, Dunkin' Donuts Center on Fox Sports 1. This is for all the marbles. This is for the Big East. Enough said. This has been The Flex. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. Subscribe to wherever you're listening to this. Go give us a rating if you like our content. If you don't like our content, just keep swimming. And we're going to talk to you after this one. I cannot wait to be at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. It's going to be as loud as it has ever been. I'm Matt St. Jean. That's Joe Howie. Thank you for listening. Go Friars. Go Friars.